When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Tax Alpha Solutions Podcast, hosted by Matt Chancy. Matt is a tax consultant, author, and certified financial planner with almost two decades helping his clients grow their net worth. On the show, Matt brings together an array of specialists to share with you their experience and success along with strategies of the 1%. Matt Chancy is with Coastal One, member FINRA SIPC. And now, here's your host, Matt Chancy. Well, good afternoon, everybody. This is Matt Chancy, and today we're back with the Tax Alpha podcast. Today, we have a special guest. Our special guest is David French, and he is a CPA based out of Austin, Texas. He focuses on tax planning for high net worth clients, not tax preparation. And it's a their, their goal is to help provide uh, for the ability to generate multi-generational wealth on a tax advantage basis. So, uh, And he's got some very unique strategies in which he does that way that we're going to discuss that on today's podcast. So, David, thanks for coming on. Hey, Matt, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, man. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, hey, are you just kind of curious question? Are you from Austin, Texas? Because no, that's a I'm booming area now. Yes. So originally grew up in New York and a Yankee. Um, but then I got down to Texas as soon as I got out of college, um, kind of about 10 years ago, basically, um, before Austin really got crazy. But no, originally a Yankee, but now I'm a honorary Texan and my, my kids are Texans, real ones. <laughs> there you go. Well, everybody followed you there. You were a trendsetter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I started it. You will not be the first person ever to go from New York to Texas, right? No, no. And California to Texas now is crazy. That's all we see. Like every license plate we see, every other one is California. So now I get pissed off. Like I'm a real Texan, like these Californians. <laughs> I moved here 10 years ago. Yeah. Don't California my Texas, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> totally no, it's good for business. I, I love the California people coming in because they're used to those um, those high dollar fees, so they have they have no problem paying paying the big bills. Uh, all those big companies from California. I mean, that's really what we've been intake for the last two years is all people from California with with money. So I cannot complain about it. Good, good, absolutely. Well, that's awesome. Well, you know, hey, let's talk a little bit about your business. So you're a CPA by trade, that's correct? Yes, sir. Yep. All right. And so so you took your business model of being a traditional CPA, which is, you know, putting the right numbers on the right forms, on the right boxes at the right time and doing a historical look back of maybe what our tax return could have been like. And instead, you're like, I want to be a tad more progressive. I want to be forward leaning. And I want to go, how do I do something materially different on the tax return where the person will pay less in the future than they pay today because they have no planning? So how'd you... When did that realization, when did you wake up with that and go, this is what we're going to do? I mean, I think part of it is just, you know, okay, you tell a client you owe a bunch of money and then they get all pissed off at you. Why the hell do I owe this money? It's like, listen, I'm just putting the numbers together, man. Then you look back, this is what you could have done. This is what we should have done. So then it's like, well, shit, why are you telling me now? Why didn't you tell me in July of last year? And then it's like, well this is not a good model for you to come to me in the springtime when we're super busy to go get your tax turn done. Why don't we meet a couple times during the year 
why don't you let me know when you're going to sell that that real estate and we could talk about it beforehand or you know why don't we why don't we talk when you're uh, you know when this big transaction is happening or you're setting up your new business and you're setting it up as the wrong energy type so so I think a lot of it was just from being in the fire, um, seeing reactions from the clients. I mean, that's kind of where all of our, at least my business sense comes from. It's like daily interactions with clients. What pain points do they have? And um, I mean, the tax planning itself, you know, some people say they do tax planning. It's like, they're just timing things out. It's just moving, paying your kids 12 grand. It's like, that's not like tax plan. It's great. You're saving a little bit of money, but like the big stuff, like what can we do? to actually move the needle um, millions of dollars. Like let's, let's do some, some real tax plan. And that's kind of what I've been in the last probably three years or so is what I've really been just trying to dig into every strategy, learn it, um, talk to the experts on it and see it in practice from a tax standpoint, but then also, you know, from a legal standpoint and a consultative standpoint, just dealing with the experts on it. So I love saving money. I love scheming. Um, I just love finding a, a way to make it happen. That that makes sense. I've always been that way since I was a young kid. Um, you know, if there's a if there's a, a path to to do something a different way and it's going to help, um, and you have to get creative with it. I mean, that's kind of gets my juices going. I like to uh, I like to be the the guy saying I came up with this plan, and then look back and you're like, shit, saved you a bunch of money, and um, yeah, and now now I'm your guy, and now you're gonna go tell all your friends. So yeah, I just like everything as a challenge. I, I take everything as a challenge, and um, I think it all comes from seeing things done the wrong way. And I've seen that done the wrong way in the past. So trying not to relive that in my own firm. Understood. Understood. Well, you know, they say some of the major ways to save taxes, which you mentioned, alluded to. So timing, shifting, IRS codes, tax advantage products, discounts, and sequencing, right? Okay. I like that. You're going to have to send me that. (laughs) But no, those, those are good. I think, yeah, um, you know, so so because you brought up timing, right? And everybody sure. on the call, so your CPA on the call, and this look, I'm talking for people that are listening in sometimes, right? So you've everybody on this, if you've made money, your CPA at one point has been like, well, you know what? Maybe we wait till next year to take that income, or we pull those expenses into this year, or whatever, and we prepay them. That's a function of timing. That's what that is, and everybody has experienced some element of that, right? And so then you got for shifting. Sure. Well, well, what is shifting? Shifting is so it's income coming in. And and I'm shifting it from someone that pays taxes at a higher level to someone that pays taxes at a lower level. And that could be a human or an entity, right? right? So you're just shifting where the income's going to a lower taxed entity. And then IRS codes, well, what's 401k? It's an IRS code, right? So, you know, those are the fundamental blocking and tackling pieces that the average CPA is going to use. And then you get into the more advanced stuff that we've talked about from a planning perspective that um, are blind spots for many tax professionals. So, so good on you for making the pivot. Good on you for making the shift. It's a lot more fun working with your clients in this capacity, right? Yeah, way more fun to be on the front end of the planning and they appreciate you more and they value you more and um, you're able to have a bigger impact. So no, I'm a fan of it. We still got to do the compliance work, but um, the compliance work is pretty much done already. Like, you know what the returns are going to look like, you know, for the most part. So you don't have to scramble and, and figure things out. You already know what it's going to look like, put them on extension and do it later in the summer or the fall. So it's a better, better model, um, but you just got to get there. It, it takes a little, time, a little time to get there. So I'm glad I'm there. Sure. Well, look, in the sea of sameness out there, right? You're a smaller boutique type CPA firm, obviously yeah. offering a different level of a service solution than a bigger brand name. How would somebody find you? How would somebody know that you're different? 
I think it's all referrals, man. It, it really is. It's referrals from our uh, current clients, our attorney um, partners, our financial advisor partners, bookkeepers, um, just business consultants, but it's really referrals. You know, when somebody comes in through a referral, it's like such an easier process than just some random from Google. It's like, they already know you, uh, they know you do a good job, but it's really just going to be from them, from their friends. And you want to be doing a good job for those groups, those groups that have purpose and have some, some power behind them. So that's the name of the game for us is referrals. Well, we've all heard the uh, story, and I know you've heard this, birds of a feather flock together, right? So yeah, when, you can, exactly. when you can get a hold of that first one and add some real value to that relationship, it's not far behind it that they're telling their friends, hey, man, you're not going to believe what this guy did for me, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. You just need a couple good ones, and then that'll take off for you. For sure. So are there any specific niches that you might excel at over others, like if physician clients or real estate investors or anybody specific? Real estate, for sure. Um we have a lot of real estate based clients. So whether it's land deals and develop deals, or if it's uh, short-term rentals, um, we're big on those for the, the tax treatment, real estate professional status, kind of working with them, um, cost seg studies, you know, conservation easements in, in some capacity, you know, uh, real estate's a big one. Uh, tech startups, we've got a lot of tech startup clients just because we're in Austin. So, um, you know, section 1202, small business stock, uh, R&D credits, those are, those are good for, for those guys. So dealing with the millennials on the startup and then some of the older, uh, older cats on the real estate deal. So uh, we got a pretty good breadth of uh, just a span of the different client base. But um, those are two big ones. We like to do a lot of estate, um, trust and estate work too. I, I find that super interesting. You know, everybody talks about income tax, but estate tax can be a much bigger um, issue when the, you know, the size of the estate is big enough. So just looking at those, techniques to lock in the value of the estate, you know, funding trusts and realizing the appreciation out of, outside of your estate. So super interested in that. We file a lot of uh, 706s, 709s, 1041s. So yeah, we're kind of all over. I think what we're trying to get rid of is, is the just personal client. We really focus on the entrepreneurs and their, their business ventures, and then we'll do their individual returns from there. But, um, you know, just the average Joe with a few rentals and brokerage accounts and a, a big W-2, not so much. If you got some complicated stock option stuff, then maybe. But um, it's really more about those serial entrepreneurs. You know, they have their, their hands in a bunch of different things, real estate heavy. And yeah, I mean, just family groups. We like to work with family groups, um, just easier, you know, to usually one point of contact versus 20. So kind of working with larger groups who... who um, have a lot going on. That's kind of what we look for. Sure. Got it. So I want to back up for a second because you sure. dropped a little nugget in there, but then you okay. ran right over it. So I'm bringing you back. Okay. So you're good. You're good. So before we talked about code 401k, because almost everybody's heard of a 401k, but yeah. I heard you mention for a small business startup, a 1202. Yeah. So why would a person starting a small, number one, is 1202 and IRS code materially the same as 401k in the fact that it sits in the code, right? I would say yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But it has a different use case and a different purpose, right? So talk about why somebody setting up a new business would want to use code 1202. Yes. So 1202, if you're in an eligible industry, um, that can lead to a tax-free exit. So when you sell, if you hold it for enough time, five years, it's a C-Corp, it's a good industry. And um, let's say we sell the company, we sell the stock after five years and we sell it for 10 mil, 
we're good. Zero tax on the uh, on the exit. And there's some strategies behind that where you can multiply it too. You know, if you give some give some stock to your kids or trusts, um, you know, 10 million per taxpayer. So it's a pretty um, impactful code section. You know, you have to get to the five year mark. You have to be a C corp. So the tax, the income tax for those five years are a little little different. But um, but no, that's a that's a huge one. They were talking about getting rid of that last year, and I'm glad they didn't. You know, I'm glad that didn't happen because. It's a big one for our tech startup clients. Sure. So now let me ask you the next question. How many small business owners, when they walk in, are thinking about structuring their business in a way that sets them up for a tax-favorable exit down yeah. the line? I mean, they all are. Um, they all want to save save money going forward. The smart ones are. I mean, at not some people just set it up and, and they come to me later, you know, and it's too late. But they all want to know. Um What's the best structure? And it just depends on, well, what industry are you in? When are you going to exit? What's your net income and cash flow? You know, do you want the cash to stay in the company? Do you want it to take out? Is this a cash flow lifestyle business or is this more of a let's grind it out and have a big exit? So, you know, or maybe you have multiple entity structures too to kind of achieve all of those things in different different forms. So a lot of times people don't even know about total. I can't even tell you how many times people have come to us um, after they've already had an exit or in the middle of it and they had no idea about it. So that's always, uh, that always makes us look good. Not like it, it brings revenue into us. It just it, It's good, goodwill for us. And it's like, oh, nobody told you about this. Um, yeah. You don't have to pay tax on that. And they just, they just love you. I feel like we should be able to charge a 5% commission on the, the tax savings. But no, I'm just um, just kidding. But yeah, I mean, it's it goes unknown a lot. It's, it's eye-opening. So what do you do then if a client walks in in the middle of an exit process or after an exit process and they didn't utilize 1202 as a strategy when they set their bid? What do you do then? I mean, there's not much you can do um, after the fact. I mean, if you're in the middle of a deal, uh, maybe they're they're structuring it as an asset sale instead of a stock sale. It's like, all right, hold the hold the presses. Let, let's um, let's rework this in a way that makes sense for the buyer and seller and um, achieves tax savings across the board. But yeah, I mean, sometimes there's not much you can do if it's still before the you know the ink is dried on the deal. There's there's usually some things you can do, but but twelve oh two is either. You got it or you don't, um, you know, you either meet the qualifications or you don't. So, you know, a lot of it deals with working with tax attorneys, you know, we'll have to kind of, um, we'll have to kind of pick their brains on all right, what's the structure, who are we looking at in this, in this structure? Are, are we looking at the buyer or the seller? Like we need to look at both, both parties and, um, and see what we can do, but there's only so much you can do. I mean, there's still post-sale tra- um you know, planning that can be done, you know, then we need to go find deductions after to offset the gain that we're going to have regardless. And we need to do that by December 31st of the year. So there's always planning to do, but it's nice when you can do a pre-sale and not, um, you're kind of forced into a smaller box when the deal is already done. Sure. Just less tools at your disposal. So, so yeah. talk about that a little bit. We'll take a pivot. So somebody didn't come in ahead of time. They find you after the fact. They could have done a lot better in a pre-planning scenario, but they didn't know. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of people in life that we don't know until we know, right? And so now they're sitting in front of you and they're like, well, what are my options? Do I have any choices? What could I potentially do, yeah. right? Yeah. No, there, I mean, there's always options. I mean, like back to real estate, I love the, the short-term rental um, option. You know, short-term rental, use the bank's money buy some property, do a cost segregation study on it, maybe get a big depreciation deduction. And um, since it's not 
a long-term rental. It's not passive, you know, automatically. So easier way to take the loss. So I'm big on cost, um, cost seg for short-term rentals. There's some hoops you have to jump through and, and you have to make sure you don't use the property, you know, more than 10% of the, the time that year or 50% in future years to worry about the recapture. But I really do like um, short-term rental, beach houses, um, you know, ski, ski locations, Colorado, those type of thing, Airbnb type um, type situations. And then, uh, you know, you can look at oil and gas investments, you know, working interest partnerships. Those are not passive under the, the tax rules. You know, there's a big IDC the first year that you have, um, that you're drilling wells and, and that's a big upfront cost and deduction that's passed through to you. Some people look at like solar partnerships because of the tax credit for solar and the depreciation on um, on the units themselves. So it depends on what you're trying to invest your money in. If if you're not you're not long on solar or oil and gas, then forget it. Like check those cross those off of the list. But then you go down like maybe a a charitable lead annuity trust like a CLAT or, or something. Do you want to find some charitable deductions now and maybe just bunch them up and put them in a pot for, for later? You know, maybe just do a simple DAF. Who knows? Donor advised fund, put some money in there. You know, post-sale transactions, planning. Let me see. I got to look at my, got to look at my well, list. I, I mean, start a new business. Like shit, go, go start a new business. Like you're going to do it anyway. Well, let's do it now. Let's go buy that equipment now. Um, let's get the bonus depreciation. We have the other income to, to offset. Let's do it now. You know, buying land, doing a conservation easement, if that's something you want to do. If you want some legacy um, land, you want some Texas ranch land to go shoot some some pigs and, and uh, deer, and you want to just hang out and have the kids run that for generations, well, shit, go, go, buy, go buy some acreage and, and go talk to the, the local land trust and maybe get a conservation easement on it. I mean, that's an easy one. It's not through a syndicate. It's not uh, looked at so, <laughs> so aggressively. It's just... That's what it's there for. It's there to protect open space. And that's what you're doing. So you're getting a deduction for um, basically what you're giving up because you're, you're never able to develop that land that can never turn into a Walmart or a strip center. And um, that's why it's there. And, you know, a lot of times you can end up paying for a large chunk of the land itself. So sometimes that works. So it just depends on the client, you know, if what they're into. Um, defined benefit plans, those are good. Do you have some earned income that year? Can we, um, does it make sense with the employee base, what we have? Are we going to be put, putting most of the money into our own pockets, our own family's um, retirement accounts and um, looking at retirement strategies? Captive insurance is always a good one. You know, big deductions on your operating business and the income to your captive is not currently taxable. So more of the timing stuff. And tax rate arbitrage, right? Because we're getting ordinary losses now for, for future capital gains when we do shut down the, the captive. So there's always some stuff you can do, but better if it's pre-sale. That way you can help with the structure and where the tax is going to be is going to be realized versus after. You know, it's always fun. And then even after 1231, you still might have some options. You know, December 31st is gone. You really don't have much, but can you look at like a qualified opportunity zone? deal are you still within the the time frame to do that there's only so much you can do after 1231 but there are a couple other things like smaller ones maybe retirement contributions ira um solo 401k hsa just just some small things nothing huge i think i think the qualified opportunity zone is one of the best after the fact after the year is closed so there's options 
Sure. And so, look, he, everybody, he rattled off a lot of stuff right there. I'm going to go back a little bit. You know, um, he talked about some different products in there. But once again, we kind of talked about these things have tax codes that are in the IRS. You know, a lot of people think this is crazy. We're making this stuff up. Right. But um, captive insurance, correct me or not, 831B, right? IRS code 831B. So it exists. It's real. Opportunity zones, 1400Z. It's a code. It exists. It's out there. Not something you use every day, but you use it when you sell a business. Right. Um, Land conservation, 170H. Right. So there's an IRS code that exists for that. Um, let me see. Oil and gas, 263C, right? So that's what your IDC deductions fall under. And then short-term rentals and cost segregation studies, what do those typically fall under? I mean, I, I would think more about just like passive loss like 469, but the actual bonus depreciation maybe 168K. You know? Yeah. See, that's exactly my point. See, 469, 168K. See, all these aren't just names. These are codes. They're real yeah, stuff. Yeah, you can go read them if you want. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm reading the code all the time. Like, I, I always have to have to go back and, and read. It's just a quick Google search. It brings you to some university, some college university that has it listed there. And then you just read through it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I spend a lot of time reading through the the code section. It's crazy uh, that it's actually out there. Well, but let's talk about why that is, right? Look, we're habit as humans, we're habits of behavior, right? We have processes of things we do. So if I'm a participant in a 401k plan, what do I do? Every year or every week or every month or every pay period, I make a contribution. I might not even know what that darn thing is doing for me when I start working with it, but over time I start to understand it, right? Yep. Well, but and you may be in a 401k for years or decades. What's the problem? You don't get years or decades to plan for one exit, right? And it might be the only bite at the apple you get. So when somebody says 401k to you, you feel comfortable because it's something you've been using for a long period of time and you've experienced. When somebody drops any of these other codes on you, you're like, you're a crazy person. I'm about to sell the biggest asset I've ever had and use some code I've never heard of, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point because a lot of people, they'll do planning like last minute and it's like they get into a plan. They don't even really know how it works. Like they have no idea until a year later. So like that's why you really have to start your your planning months, if not years ahead. So you can get comfortable with the plan. You can run through it, not just from like this year, but what is it going to look like next year? What's it going to look like five years from now? So yeah, I mean, it's uh, we always preach that like you gotta understand the plan, you gotta be comfortable with it. It's not one meeting and yes, sign me up. Even if they say, yeah, I'm in for it, it's like no, let's work through this. Make sure you you know what's going on because um, a lot of people don't have the foresight. You know, they're just not gonna they're gonna be two years down the road. Wait, how does this thing work again? How do I get the money out? Um, Oh shit, well, why did I do this again? Like it's gotta be understood. So whether that means reading the actual code section, probably not, but really working with the with the uh, consultants and running through the scenarios and how it's gonna work and and all that. So I see it all the time. People don't even understand what they're what they're signing up for. So we try to avoid that. <laughs> sure. Understood. It's it's very important the clients understand what you're trying to do for them. So how much do you find coordination with their existing? Because I don't find a high net worth client, business owner, whatever, show, by the time they show up to you, right? They probably have met other CPAs. They probably have worked with other attorneys. They might have a financial advisor. They might have an insurance guy. They might have a group benefit guy. They might have all these kind of financial legal people kind of bubbling around in their life, right? So 
How do you come in kind of in that, you know, eighth to ninth inning of the baseball game before the thing's over and, and play well with those other people in the sandbox to make sure you help the client succeed? Yeah. I mean, you know, we do play that role a little bit, but I, I much rather prefer just being like a long-term client who is, who has been around and it's just so much easier. But when someone does come in last minute, well, they're usually coming to us for a reason, like their current CPA is not equipped to deal with it. It's like, I've outgrown them. This is too much. So it's like, they usually, you know, they'll put a little, little more weight to what you're, what you're saying. But I think a lot of it is with the attorneys and the financial advisors. There's always like a, you know, who's in charge over here kind of thing. So just dealing with them directly and not with the client there, I think it works way better. Um, you know, you can talk to an attorney or a um, financial advisor and you'll know within the first 10 minutes if they have any idea what they're talking about or not. And sometimes it's just a graceful like um, education that, that you have to do and just kind of explain it to them. But sometimes they won't get it and they, <laughs> they won't understand it. Uh, but you got to just deal with them directly, make sure they do understand it so that they can go be a good advisor to their to their client. But um, yeah, I think it's just not doing it in front of the client, being more direct with them and seeing how they just how they act right off the bat, like if they're territorial or not. Usually if they're territorial, it's like there's a reason why they are being that way. Like they either don't know the shit or they're worried about something. So just trying to trying to feel that out, you know, just read them a little bit. So it's just like playing poker. That's what this whole world is. <laughs> Understood. Uh, graceful education. I, I, I like <laughs> yeah, that. not like, hey, I know everything and you should know this and, and jam it down the throat, but like, okay, like, you know, just kind of take it slow with them a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I've had to learn that. And look, <laughs> I it wasn't that way when I first started. I agree with you 100%. Like I've been doing this for a while, similar stuff, not the same, similar stuff. But, you know, one of the things that you learn is, number one, 90% of the other professional advisors are going to have no idea what you're talking about. And if you bring it up in front of their clients, it's ultimately going to embarrass them and they're going to, you know, become egocentric about it and push back and tell you're crazy. So you're just like, look, I'm not going to have the client on the call. I'm going to talk to their professional advisors. I'm going to... We're going to discuss the fact pattern. We're going to talk about potential solutions. When we agree on potential solutions, we'll present a unified front to the client that we agree. If we don't agree, and then the, then the client ultimately has to make a choice, right? So, and we don't want to put the clients in a situation where they have to make an awkward choice. We want to leverage the relationship of their professional advisors and the years of trust that they have. And we want to lean into that as an opportunity. So I applaud you for taking that approach because I, you know, I get it. And I've been on all sides of that equation understanding because at first it seems like it's probably much you're like i'm just gonna knock the other guy out of the box and not (laughs) deal with him on the thing and then you're like yeah it's not the best way that's not the way to go yeah (laughs) yeah i think you got to understand their goals too like sometimes your plan is going to help them it's going to help the the attorney generate more fees it's going to help the advisor generate more fees so it's like we're not, we're all on the same team here. And it's not, we're agnostic too to what they do. We want to do what they want to do and what makes sense for them and their family. So it's like, we don't care if you go do this plan or that plan. It's like, we want to do what makes sense. And we want you to um, feel comfortable with it and save a bunch of money and move on down the, the road and be happy. So it's not like we're battling for, for one plan versus the other. It's what's right for the client. That's right. I tell the clients, look, I don't have a dog in the fight from a strategy perspective. You're my dog in this fight. And I just want to make sure that you get the best outcome, whichever fact pattern, you know, whichever product solution or strategy or combination thereof that are determined by your fact pattern. That's where we're going to go. 
Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes you get into the, the situation where you know what's right for the client. They just don't know what's right. They have, they have their own way of thinking. They're not going to understand this and they're not going to be happy with it because it's going to be too complicated. So that's always a, a challenging situation where you know what's best for them. They don't, and you can't help them. But you just got to throw your hands up and say, this is what I would do if I were you, but it's going to entail these things, which I feel like may not be, um, may not be what you want to deal with. Like they want to simplify. Some people just want to simplify. They just want to be like, I just want to go hang out and um, ride my four wheeler around my ranch and just chill. It's like, I don't want to deal with all this stuff. So, so sometimes it depends on the the client and their, their personality, but it always pains me when I know they could do something that's better for themselves, but um, they're just, they got a block somewhere. There's a block in their brain or, or something. So we run into that too, but you know, okay. maybe everything's not, you know, it's going to be how it's going to be. And, and that's how the world works. <laughs> Look, I've planned for clients that have, you know, you know, clients say a few things, right? When they sell stuff, you know, number one, they say, you know, I'm the best, I'm the brightest I've ever been. I learned a lot while I was running that business or doing what I was doing. I started it with no access to human capital. I completely bootstrapped it and I had no relationships today. I know five ways to do what I just did better and somebody else paid me an astronomical amount of money. So I don't want to put this money somewhere else. I want it back in my hand because I'm going to build yeah. a new, bigger business even faster than that business I ever built, Right. Yeah, Because I'm the best version of me I've ever been. Now I have capital. Now I have humans. Now I have relationships. I can set this world on fire. I can and you say, I'll see you later. You don't need me. <laughs> That's right. I'm like, call me later when you build, when you sell the next one, right? And you're ready to take some chips <laughs> off the table in a tax smart way, yeah. right? But, no, but other times you have people that say, look, I don't, I want to take it off the table. I don't want to do this anymore. I'd like to minimize the tax impact. I don't want this. any debt at all. I want to just have cash. I want to pay for cash for my house. And it's like, well, let's just chill. Like you could get 3% interest, like, and we can, you know, put your money to work, you know, and have a little leverage there. But um, yeah, you got to talk people off the ledge a lot of time and get them down to the middle. I'm with you on that. It's uh, you got to be that, that middle ground. You got to be that devil on their shoulder or the angel on their shoulder you gotta be like you gotta weigh them down because they're there's some people are just so gung-ho and i'm that same way myself so i feel like i'd be a terrible client to deal with <laughs> for for myself i'd be like yeah i know it all that's what we're gonna do etc but then you gotta remind them you're here for, you're talking to me for a reason buddy all right just just simmer it down when we got you but you gotta listen to what they want to do um, you gotta have their their buckets right their buckets of money this is your bucket of money that you go start your new your new venture, and if it doesn't work out, you're gonna be just fine. Here's your bucket of money that you're never gonna to touch. This is for the next generation, and then here's this other bucket of money that we're kind of gonna be aggressive with, but we're not gonna. Um, it's gonna grow. So I mean, yeah, you know the deal. You're dealing with the same same type of folks. Yeah, well, well, look, you know, I tell people all the time, you earn the money, right? It's your right. You can do anything you want with it and you don't have to do any of this stuff. There's a default plan that the government has with income, capital gains, estate, whatever it is, and that's pay the tax. So if none of this you're comfortable with, guess what? Do plan A, pay the tax, call it a day, right? If that's what helps you sleep better at night, pay the tax. And I also have to tell people this, I go, look, there's no magic wand that I can wave over your financial life and make all the taxes vanish. For you to get a different outcome, you're materially going to have to do something different. So if I can't teach that old dog a new trick, then let's just call it a day right now and stop wasting time. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes they're actually not in a bad spot. It's like they're having an exit. It's capital gains. It's There's no net investment income tax. We're paying 20%. It's like, 
it's not that bad. Like you're, you're in a good spot. Like here are some options to look at, but you don't have to go find deductions just to um, eliminate 20% tax rate. Like, like that's a good problem to have. So sometimes the answer is do nothing, you know? Yeah. Sometimes the best answer is do nothing. You can sleep better at night by doing nothing. Sometimes. Yep. So, but I mean, if we're in California and we're paying 50% total tax and we're 37 of the government, 13% of the state, well, that's not the answer. We, we got some, we got some options to look at. Yeah. I've got a client I'm planning with now. It's got a business sale coming up for like $50 million. Right. And I was like, you need to go buy a house in Incline Village. And he's like, why? And I'm like, cause there's a $7 million house over there. That's absolutely free with your name on it. And he's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, 50% is, is rough. And then like, there's just some situations where you have to you have to make a move. Well, you don't. You don't have to, but you, you're right. dumb not to. You, you have to at least explore the options. Sure, sure, hundred percent. So it's just it's looking at creative solutions. So very cool. So look, I see where you see where you were, see where you got to, see some of the tools that are using. So you know, if the wind's behind our sails and we're headed in the right direction, what's in the future? Where are the opportunities? Where are we going with this thing? Man, it's a good question. <laughs> I think finding um, finding more people that can sit in the seat with me and just educating them and doing more, you know, impactful planning for, for good people who are doing good stuff, you know, just trying to impart the, the tax strategies and plans into other, um, other employees here and have them do the same thing. So I think that's where we're at right now. Um, just being a little strategic about which clients we work with, you know, just, you don't want to have the ones that, that put you in a bad mood or, you know, bug you. So there's no time for that. So I think just being more purposeful with who we help and, um, you know, people that appreciate it and not just go chase every dollar that's out there because not all business is good business. Not all business is good business. Much business, a lot of the business is not worth having. You just have to, you know, just because, so that's another thing I ask myself every time, just because I could doesn't mean I should. I know. I got to remind myself, man. I'm I'm, I'm finally learning. (laughs) I'm like, hey, this introductory phone call was great for me. I don't know how it was for you, but it was great for me because I know which category you fall into, not a client. Yeah, exactly. I know. Uh, Finally getting there, but I think just getting more into um, contact with specialists in specific tax plans, you know, just kind of going down the rabbit hole a little bit. I don't need to be an expert in everything and be able to execute on everything, but I need to understand it. And being the CPA who, you know, signs the return and um, that's where the deductions actually take place. You do learn a lot, um, but it's always good to learn from the experts because they can kind of help from the, the planning side and, and when to when to look at this type of plan and just other, you know, tricks and variations of it. So just more learning, man. And, you know, the tax code is always changing. So trying to keep up. It, it's been kind of chill for a little bit. So I'm, I'm happy with that, but we're always going to have more, you know, more to learn when it comes up. So I think just um, just focusing on the the advanced tax strategies. In the back of my mind, I always want to go to law school and, and do the tax or anything, but I don't think I could really go to go to class anymore. We'll, we'll see. Um, if I uh, if I get a big push, I, I might do it one of these days. But um, I'm just it's something that um, 
it's a goal that's in the back of my mind. So at some point, maybe when I'm completely bald, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be there. <laughs> my, my undergrad is in legal studies. At one point, that was the knowing what I know now, I kind of wish a little bit that I would have went ahead through law school and gotten an LLM in a perfect world. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I have no complaints. I think it would be cool to do it now. Um, now that I have like, you know, the, the practice and the actual application of it, it'd be cool to go back there, you know, be hopefully helpful to, <laughs> to be in there. And, um, I don't know. I couldn't have done law school when I was younger. I was, uh, I was just too hyper and, um, I probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have made it through. So I, I think the, the path has been good, but maybe going back, sitting in a classroom doesn't sound appealing. I don't know. Maybe it's just a status thing. Tax attorney sounds good. It's got a good ring to it. Sounds got a good ring to it, right? It's got a yeah. good ring to it. But so, eh, can't do it all. Wonderful. Can't take over the world. No, no, no. But at the end of the day, look, whether you're a CPA, a tax attorney, whatever it is, you know, that's a title maybe that might identify who you are a little bit. But at the end of the day, the strategies and tools that you use are usually more self-education and additional education above and beyond that fundamental learning set, right? So, you know, uh, so it depends on how you look at it, but it's like, you know, look, you can get a real estate license, but some people do residential, some people do commercial, some people have become hyper niche focused on short-term rentals and, and other elements like yeah. that, right? So you just having the license and the education gives you many different paths to go down to figure out how to use it from a specialization standpoint, right? Yeah. No, I think it's just um, maybe would help from pivoting more to like do some legal work related to the tax fund, but I don't even know if I really want to do that. I think most of my education and these type of things have been from, from not knowing and being on the calls with tax attorneys or other CPAs and being the one who doesn't know what he's talking about. Cause I always learn best when I'm like, I'm the idiot who doesn't know. And I feel like I got a fire under my ass and I need to learn it now. So I've always, I'll never forget things that I learned the hard way and um, made a mistake on and had a, had a dispute with another, another CPA or, or, or tax advisor, you know, it's happened a handful of times and I could think of them right now. Just like, you know, that's the best way that I learned is in practice from, other experts and and challenging them and, and asking questions and not just saying, oh, I'm going to ignore that. Like, no, I really want to understand this. Like, what is this? I want to understand it the whole way. And you just got to be like super motivated and just not stop until you get it. And that, those are the best people in our firm that like want to understand the whole tax code. It's like every chapter of it, like you've got to just be aggressive, just nonstop. Like you, it's like, I want to understand it all. And um, that's the mentality that, um, great CPAs and great advisors have and great attorneys in any profession, just like, but Tesco is cool because it all works together. It all comes back. It's like one big working functioning, like body or, you know, just like system. So yeah, I think, um, I don't know the tax attorney thing. I probably won't end up doing it, but I got to figure something else out. We'll see. I'll find something. I I always do. I have no doubt. And you're right. If you're not self-motivated to learn and self-educate, then, you know, the world's just not going to drop this stuff at your at your feet. Right. Yep. And what I find is, um, you know, everybody has a level of complacency or where they want to be in their life. And when they want to learn enough to be at that station or at that place that they're attracting the clients they want to attract, that they're generating the revenue that they think they can generate or serving clients the way that they want to serve them. Right. 
That's kind of their cap. That's kind of their ceiling. And some people are 20-year professionals and they've grown every year for 20 years. And some people are one-year professionals that have been in the business 20 years, right? Because their expertise stopped 12 months in and they've just been regurgitating the same yeah. nonsense for the next 20 years. So. Yeah. No, I continue to learn stuff. It's amazing. I continue to learn stuff every every week, every month. I don't think it'll it'll ever stop. To be honest with you, it's just more specific and, and niche and like, like, okay, that's just a super specific tax topic, but there's, you never know everything with tax. Nobody does. It's crazy. And it's changing all the time. Like, look, every time politically you hear somebody talk about the government's doing this, the House is doing that, the Senate's doing this and whatever, like every time they talk about it, something's changing, Right. Well, that puts some people out of business and that creates new opportunities for new people to get in business around new codes that were created. For example, you mentioned opportunities owed 1400Z. That code did not exist until four years ago. Right. Did not exist. So that was a- a I haven't done much work on that, to to be honest with you, Um, but I'm super interested in the the 10-year hold and like the the tax-free exit and and like that part. The deferral part doesn't really entice me that much. I don't think it does for most people because- you might even end up paying a higher tax rate. When they were talking about tax rates going up, it's like, let me defer my gain from this year and push it into 2026. And my rate might be higher that year. That part, I don't love, but the your replacement property or you know your new investment, you hold that long enough and all of that gain is, is tax-free. So I think that's a big one. Um, people can kind of use it like a, like just a, a bucket to have tax-free growth. And I think two of the strongest things that people need to remember are the step-up in basis when you die and then life insurance being, you know, being a great tool for, for tax savings, for income tax and estate tax. Like the step-up in basis and using life insurance as a tax tool are two, two mind-blowing concepts that can really move the needle in, in your legacy and, and what you're what you're leaving behind. So uh, hopefully I don't close the loop on those because I know they've been tough on them, but those are, those are two that all the big powerful families will, will utilize big time. Sure. Sure. Good stuff. Well, we've kind of, we're running up against our time today a little bit, you know, we've invested. I think we've shared a lot of people, any, any final thoughts going forward, you know, or tell people, or if nothing else, uh, tell people how to find you. Cause I think, I think we talked earlier on the pre-call, most of your clients today come from to you from maybe some other CPA firms that you have relationships with. So you're doing some of the advanced work for them or some law firms or whatever. So tell people how they would normally get to you and then tell people how they would find you if they, if this podcast is their first introduction. Yeah. Um, you know, just, you can find me on the website, just www.davidfrenchcpa.com and, um, or just email David at davidfrenchcpa.com, you know, set something up, you know, it's pretty easy for us to review your, your prior year, prior two years returns, see if we see something pretty, pretty major or just some, some planning opportunities, but this is a good time of year to do it. This is our slower, slower time. Um, so it's always worth a double check. I'd say that to everybody, except for my own clients. They're, they're not allowed to go get a, a double check of another CPA. But I, I really do think it, it's worth time, whether it's our firm or someone else. Like, There's so many simple things you can do. Just entity structure, how you pay yourself, just moving things around that you know can save you money and save you money every year. It's like recurring 10 grand savings every year by doing this one thing, paying yourself this much more in salary or putting your three kids on payroll. It, it's... It's pretty simple. So, so yeah, um, website's the best. You kind of go through the intake form or, or uh, talk to Casey, my sister and our, you know, director of operations, and she'll 
she'll get you all squared away. But yeah, thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on today. Well, uh, everybody, uh, today's special guest, CBA David French, talks about some advanced tax planning in his practice, but um, hopefully we brought you value today. So this was Matt Chancy and the Tax Alpha Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Tax Alpha Solutions brought to you by Matt Chancy. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and insight. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts.